Butcher killed by meat grinder. Bell surprise. I'm Kevin Leeson. If you go to Laporte to get married, you may be courting danger. I'm Joe Fulgham. Belle Gunnis. Her coffee was to die for. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. <laughs> Yet another installment of Evil Dames in History. Dun 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 dun. Today I want to talk about Belle Gunnis. Belle, as in ding dong. No, as in Belle of the Ball. Oh, as in Belle of the Ball. And Gunnis, as in a a lady gun. A gun S. Yes, exactly, exactly. Deadly as. Bell Sorensen Gunnis was born Brynhild Palsdatter Storseth. Mm, okay. On November 11th, 1859. Why would you change your name? From Brynhild Palsdatter Storseth? Brynhild Storsdorf. <laughs> it sounds very Viking, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, she was the youngest of eight children. In a story which many of the residents of her birthplace of Selbu, Norway, believed to be true, although unsubstantiated, in 1877, Gunnis attended a country dance while pregnant. She was attacked by the boy who had impregnated her. Oh. He kicked her in the abdomen, causing her to miscarry the child. Oh, follow up to our abortion episode. <laughs> the man who came from a rich family was never prosecuted by the authorities. According to people who knew her, her personality changed markedly after this event. Oh, okay. The man who attacked her was died. Was the personality where it's like, oh, God, I do not want this baby. Kick. Hooray! <laughs> or was it the other way around? Uh, I think it was more, the, you know, maybe she was a little taciturn. Okay. A little uh, moody. A turn for the worse. Uh, <laughs> the man who attacked her died shortly afterwards. His cause Ooh. of death was said to be stomach cancer, but the <laughs> symptoms closely resemble those of a victim of poisoning. I was going to say, died of stomach cancer, but the 17 stab hole wounds were not explained. Yeah, that's right. We yeah. think that the cancer got in through these stab wounds. <laughs> Following the example of her sister, who had already emigrated to America, Brynhild moved to the United States in 1881 and assumed the more American-style name of Belle. Okay. Okay. As an adult, she stood close to six feet tall and weighed over 200 pounds mm. and was considered an unusually physically strong woman. Right on. Yeah, that sounds more like a Brynhild than a bell. Than a bell. Uh, Yeah, well, maybe she softened it up with the bell. That's just good marketing. Yeah, I guess so. In 1884, Gunnis married a department store security guard, Mads Sorensen, in Chicago, Illinois. Ooh, Mads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Must be related to Mads Mickelson. Must be. Uh, Everybody who's named Mads. Yeah, Yeah. they're all related. (laughs) No, he was just, he was a security guard who was always angry. So he's so mad that he's mad, yeah. plural. Yeah. He's got many subtle layers of mad going <laughs> on at the same time. Sorry, yes. both, are you angry? I'm mad. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, he doesn't has cheeseburger. He mads cheeseburger. Yeah. Two years later, they opened a confectionery store. Delightful. Oh, because they wanted to be sweet. Bell and Mads Confections. Mm-hmm. Promise not to give you stomach cancer. <laughs> the business was not successful. Within two years, both their home and the sweet shop had mysteriously burned down. <laughs> oh. They collected insurance on both, which paid for another larger home. Oh, well, that's that's good luck. That's awful. That is good luck. That is good luck that your failing business should happen to burn down right when you're probably about to go out of business. Mm -hmm. And then you get to buy a big home with that insurance. Mm Mm-hmm. On June 13th, 1900, Gunnis and her family were counted on the United States Census in Chicago. The census recorded her as the mother of four children, of Mm. whom only two were living, Myrtle, three, and Lucy, one. Myrtle. Mm. 
Uh-huh. That's Love a name it. you don't hear very often anymore. No, not no. enough. That is a 19th century name if I've ever heard one. Yeah. Well, they didn't do the rhyming test, right? To see if the kid would get bugged in school when you get born back then. Myrtle. Turtle. 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 We can't name our kid Myrtle. Shirtle. <laughs> Shirtle. <laughs> Squirtle. Flirtle. Flirtle. Mm-hmm. Carolyn and Axel had both died in infancy, allegedly of acute colitis. The Wait, si- what is colitis? The symptoms of acute colitis, okay. nausea, fever, diarrhea, and lower abdominal pain and cramping were also symptoms of many forms of poisoning. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is a colitis an itis of the col? Uh, un? Colon. Colon. Okay. Uh, yes, col- colonitis. So, so it's like colonitis, but they just took out the ant. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. Both Carolyn and Axel's lives were insured, and the insurance company paid out. An adopted 10-year-old girl known as Jenny Olson was also counted in the household. Mads Sorensen died on July 30th, 1900, the only day on which two life insurance policies overlapped. Oh, oh. oh so like you have uh, one life insurance that is expiring and you've got taken on another policy to cover it. Mm-hmm. And Belle Gunness must be the luckiest woman in the world. So the theory yeah. for the first kid was that it was poisoned. Is that, was that what I'm taking? We're supposed two. to take away the first two was that they were poisoned for insurance. Well, I, I think this is probably now like the old, like looking in the rearview mirror at the time, it just seemed an unfortunate disease that swept through a household that happened not too terribly uncommon. Yeah. What uh, mother would do this? And for what possible gay? Oh, no. <laughs> the Sorensen's family doctor had been treating Mads for an enlarged heart and cause of death was ruled heart failure. Mm. Interesting to note that their doctor had at one time been a boarder in the Sorensen home, and there has been speculation that Belle and the doctor may have had an illicit affair prior to her <gasps> husband's death. Um, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe Mad Sorensen found out his wife wanted to kill him and died of a broken heart. That's right. Mm-hmm. Or he loved her too much. Oh, that's yeah. why it was so big. Wait, mm-hmm. so how did the husband die? Uh, they say heart failure. Okay. It was ruled heart failure. It was the the doctor who had been a boarder in the house right. and may oh, have been her okay. lover. Okay. Said, um, yeah, uh, large heart and uh, heart failure. Mm-hmm. But maybe it was. Who knows? Yeah. Mad's brother argued that Bell. It could just be that he happenstancedly had heart right. failure that yes. he's been suffering from for years on the very day that two insurance policies overlapped. Could it's not be. impossible. It's, it's not, not possible. No. It's not impossible. It's you not, can't say it's not possible. No, it's totally possible. Yeah, with a thousand monkeys killing a thousand husbands on a thousand days, you know, one of them is going to be could write an overlapping in blood. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and an overlapping insurance policies. To be or not to blee. I don't think insurance investigators were that good. In this era, I'm getting the impression there's insurance only investigators. One. Yeah, just there's overworked. one in all of Chicago, and there was <laughs> they were getting ready for. Because uh, when did when it's the 1850s or the late 1800s? I mean, uh, 1900, I think. Okay, yeah, 1900. That's when that happened. July. 30th, when did they even start having insurance as a concept? I can find out if you want me to internet. 2000 BC in China, so a long time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, insurance began as a way of reducing the risk to traders as early as 2000 BC in China and 1750 BC in Babylon. Nice. Okay, so okay. it's been around for about 4,000 years. So, uh, no excuses then, no okay. excuses. Yeah, yeah. They, they should have gotten the investigation part down, Pat. Modern life insurance policies were established in the early 18th century. So they've been around so still for a couple, hundred, a couple years. hundred years. Yeah. yeah. Mads's brother argued that Bell had poisoned her husband to collect in the insurance, and the brother mm. called for an inquest. Ah, ha, ha, ha. ah, now she's got hoisted on her own poison tart. Called in Da Vinci. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. For Da Vinci's inquest. That's right. That's a very uh, Canadian reference for all of our <laughs> listeners around the world. There is a TV show called Da Vinci's Inquest, uh, not starring Leonardo Da Vinci. All right, I'll do an American one. Then they brought in Sequest, the guys from Sequest. <laughs> 
<laughs> sea quest is all about inquests underwater? In- yep. Yeah, okay. Und- all right. Under the sea okay. inquests. I just learned something right now. You didn't know. Sea inquest DSV. Uh-huh. In order to proceed with the exhumation and autopsy of Mads' body, the brother would need to pay the $300 cost, which he did not have, uh-huh. so an autopsy was not performed. Mm. Mm. The two insurance companies awarded her $8,500, which is the equivalent of about $240,000 in 2012 dollars, as well as an insurance claim paid as a result of a fire, which again burned down the Sorensen home. They must not... We don't have anything that we don't want to be burned away. (laughs) I don't think Belle was attached to a lot of things. Or maybe like their other family friend was the the town um, crate smith, fireproof crate smith. Oh, yeah? No, it's probably more along the lines of uh, I can get more money if my ratty old couch burns as well. Right. You know? Yes, you'd still think, like, three fires in the span of, like, five years. Somebody would have, like... a husband dying on that one day. Yeah. yeah. Somebody would have raised an alarm bell. Well, I guess the brother did. It's just he didn't have 300 bucks for an autopsy. It's odd that he would have to pay it when the insurance company should be able to go, hey, you're right, if this was poisoned, then we don't have to pay. I, the brother probably did something foolish, like go to the went to the police or something. He should have gone straight to the insurance company. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Bell used the money to buy a farm outside of Laporte, Indiana. Okay. All right. All right. Laporte. Laporte, the door. That's, uh, that's actual French. That is French. That's actual French. For the door. Mm-hmm. Before she moved to Laporte, Bell became reacquainted with a Norwegian-born widower named Peter Gunnis. They were married in Laporte on April the 1st, 1902. One week after the ceremony, Peter's infant daughter from his previous marriage died while alone in the house with Belle, and they collected on a life insurance policy. Wow. So, Torn, are you keeping track of trend, life insurance policies trend. here? <laughs> now, I should start. In the life insurance uh, company's defense, this is now in Laporte. It's in another state. It's not in Chicago anymore. Okay, so probably a completely different company. So, know. how many people died in Chicago? Three? Uh, two, two children. And, the, and Mads. And Mads, yeah. All right, and we got one okay. in Laporte. And uh, don't forget a house burned down. No, no. Two, oh, houses, two houses have burned and down. And a business. And a business. Mm-hmm. So we've got three people, a business, and two houses. Yeah. Uh, all of which... Uh, oh, now... And it's... the husband counts double. Because he's in the mask? Because he was two life insurance policies ah, overlapping yes, on the same policy. day. Because yeah, yeah. it's, really, it's like really heavy? <laughs> was he fat? Is this like one of those Southwest Airlines things? <laughs> to pay for two seats? Yeah, maybe that's why he needed two policies. <laughs> to cover every inch of them. One covered half of them, the other covered the other half. Uh, but now we have uh, we have one death in Laporte, right? The infant daughter of uh, of Peter Gunnis from a previous marriage. That was in April of 1902. In December of 1902, Peter himself met with a tragic accident. Oh no, Peter! According to Bell, he was reaching for his slippers next to the kitchen stove when he was scalded with brine, and then part of a sausage grinding machine fell from a high shelf, <laughs> causing a fatal head injury. <laughs> it just happened to grind his head as well, so we had hamburger the next morning. <laughs> well, it's I just I have a mental picture of of the uh, how this death goes down as she's describing. You know it? that yeah. there's like a. Yeah, yeah. Like he's reaching for slippers, bumps this uh, hot brine, which scalds him on one side, and then he jumps up and like bumps his head on the upper shelf, which sends this grinding machine into the air and right. comes down on his head, caving his skull in. And he's covered by tweeting birds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Locals couldn't believe that Peter Gunnis, an experienced butcher who ran a successful hog farm on the property, could be so clumsy. Yeah, he would have died years ago. The, the district coroner reviewed the case and found Peter's death suspicious. Uh-huh. He convened a coroner's jury to look into the matter as a possible murder. Finally, we're getting somewhere. Yeah. Peter's uh, story over. Yep. Gunnis, caught. 
Peter's brother took Peter's older daughter, Swanhild. Swanhild. To Wisconsin to live with extended family. The Gunnis family then fought with Bell over the life insurance money, arguing that Swanhild should receive it as inheritance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gunnis, meaning Bell, successfully convinced investigators that she was innocent of any wrongdoing, mm-hmm. and in May 1903 gave birth to a son, Philip. And the newborn was awarded the life insurance money as Peter's lawful heir. Oh, so she was pregnant with uh, the butcher's baby when the butcher was killed. Presumably. Correct. April, May. So, yeah, that's five months later. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were checking to see if it was like 10 months later? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, there is that woman that gave birth to uh, rabbits, after all, from our hoaxes episode. Her husband's death netted her another three to $4,000, a value of between sixty-five and $87,000 in 2012 dollars. So she's leaving. Uh, she's carving quite a swath here. Mm-hmm. So that's that's two more insurance policies in less than a year. Or she's completely innocent, and a whole bunch of terrible things have happened to her in her life. And then on top of it, everybody's blaming her for it. Well, everyone knows that uh, every good butcher keeps their sausage grinding machine on the highest shelf possible. Mm-hmm. That's dangling, where dang, perched perilously dangling, upon a precipice. Yeah, on one of those hooks. Yeah, you know, like a hook that you put in the wall. That uh, maybe he didn't get it in a stud. So just pulled right out of the drywall. Lots of ways that this could have happened. That the sausage grinding machine could have fallen from such a height as to stave in your skull. Yep. I feel like if you had a sausage grinding machine like two feet above my head and dropped it on my head, there's a good chance it wouldn't kill me. I don't I've never owned a sausage grinding machine. Uh Uh-huh. I don't know how big and weighty they are. I don't know how many spikes they have on them. Sharp corners, presumably quite yeah, a few. Yeah, I guess they probably have a sharp corner or two. I mean, I, yeah, they probably would. Or yeah. not so much sharp, but you know, it, it's a corner, so that's pretty round. There's, There's like, lots of round parts, but, but those bottom parts you get hit by if it tipped over in the whatever the the funnel at the top is. That's got some sharp bits, and if all that weight, yeah, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I'm skeptical. No, I totally think she did it, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> I, I, this is back in the era. This is like the Lizzie Borden days, right? Where just people just like women couldn't have done That's these right. sorts of things. Like this is beyond when she comes up and goes, women are neither strong enough nor intelligent enough. Yeah. yeah. To murder people for insurance. When they convene a coroner's jury to investigate murder, they start talking about who the hobo was that must have come in and yes. caved his head <laughs> in with the sausage machine rather than the wife in the own home yeah. who is uh, five foot 10 and 200 and something pounds. But just a woman. <laughs> just a woman. Listen, she's obviously innocent. We found no evidence that there was a man in here aside from her husband. Yes, precisely. <laughs> the Sutor years. Uh-huh. Not oh, long. It means she started to make suits? Yep. Mm-hmm. Not long after this matter was settled, Gunnis inserted the following advertisement in the matrimonial columns of all the Chicago daily newspapers and those of other large Midwestern cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll do it in uh, Gunnis's voice. Oh, what's Gunnis sound like? Well, oh, she's, she's Norwegian. 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 Mm. I am a bad Swedish. Yes. Persons, comely widow to, who owns a large farm in one of the finest districts in Laporte County, Indiana, desires to make the acquaintance of a gentleman equally well provided with the view of joining fortunes. Joining fortunes? Joining fortunes. Ooh. No replies by letter considered unless sender is willing to follow answer with personal visit. Mm-hmm. Triflers. Need not apply. Ah, I see. You have now, but fortunes. She just must meant good fortune because she was so lucky through her right. life to have all of her homes and businesses burned down right when she needed money the most, and that she had life insurance on all of her family members who happened to perish under 
circumstances. But she wants to meet a guy who's equally well provided uh-huh. to join with, fortunes. With good fortune. Yes. You know, just someone lucky. Join, yeah. yeah. They could be lucky in love. That's what she meant, right? Maybe. <laughs> Several middle-aged men of means responded to Gunnis's ad. Mm-hmm. One of these was John Moe. Okay. M-O-E. Uh, with his brother Larry and Curly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who arrived from Elbow Lake, Minnesota mm-hmm. with more than $1,000 to pay off her mortgage. Okay. Quote, uh-huh. Or so he told neighbors. To whom Gunnis introduced him as her cousin. He disappeared within a week of his arrival. Okay. Next came George Anderson from Tarkio, Missouri. George Anderson. Mm-hmm. Regular guy. Sounds like a regular guy. Uh, who, like Peter Gunnis and John Moe, was also an immigrant from Norway. Oh, she had a preference. During dinner with Anderson, she raised the issue of her mortgage. Anderson agreed that he would pay this off if they decided to wed. Okay, so uh, he put down the uh, the old like, hey, 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 hey. If we happen to get married, I will pay off your mortgage. But no promises. Late that night. Anderson awoke to see her standing over him, a candle in her hand, and a strange, sinister expression on her face. <laughs> Finally, we got a description of her sinister face. Okay, yeah. all right. Without uttering a word, she left the room. Anderson fled from the house immediately. Whoa. He's like, he did not like the looks of that no, face. <laughs> this, I am smart. <laughs> I am a wise George Anderson. George Wiserson, yeah. he should have named, yeah. changed his name to. George. George Smarterson. In late 1906, Bell told neighbors that her foster daughter, Jenny Olson, had gone away to a Lutheran college in Los Angeles. Some neighbors were informed that it was a finishing school for young ladies. That's now a finishing school. Yeah. Is where you go to learn how to finish furniture. Is that what that is? Oh, no. It's where you go to, uh, you know, finish becoming a lady. Okay. Uh-huh. You're supposed to learn social skills and cultural norms and which side of the plate to put which fork on and all that yeah, crap. Yeah, yeah. Not... Uh, Bell Gunnis, you know, didn't mean that she finished her off. Or that she just ejaculated. Oh, yeah, she finished. Yeah, that's right. In the com- in polite conversation around yeah. town. It's masturbation going, class. Going to the finishing school. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. By 1907, Gunnis employed a farmhand, Ray Lamphere. Okay. That's how it? I choose to pronounce it. <laughs> I, I like lamp here. Lamp here. It's L-A-M-P-H-E-R-E. Lamp okay. Here. Where's the lamp? Here. Lamp That's here. probably how he got his name. Lamp here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, <laughs> you had a lamp all the time. We had to sell it to buy diapers. Come on, guys. I so... can't see anything. Who's got a lamp? I got a lamp here. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> hey. Uh, that should be your name. So uh, she employed him to help with chores. Right. She had also begun ordering huge trunks. Oh, the trunk master. Oh, Elephants? She's already bringing to elephants to her farm? Swim trunks? Huge uh-huh. trunks to be delivered to her home. Oh, she was over 200 pounds. There you go. Mm-hmm. Hack driver. It means taxi, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clyde Sturgis mm-hmm. delivered many such trunks to her from Laporte and later remarked how the heavyset woman would lift these enormous trunks like boxes of marshmallows. <laughs> Oh, you made him Scottish. He's Irish. Irish. Uh, Irish. Boxes of marshmallows. Boxes of marshmallows, she lifted them. How about crates of pillows? Like, why boxes of marshmallows? That's not The guy loved marshmallows, man. I, I love so. me some marshmallows. He's just eating a bag of marshmallows going, Jesus, she lifts that, she, that trunk. Is I'm imagining lighter, 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 the marshmallows in the shape of orange stars, green clovers, <laughs> and blue diamonds. <laughs> Tossing and them. He, became, he became a serial tycoon days later. <laughs> tossing them onto her shoulders and carrying them into the house. 
She kept the shutters of her house closed day and night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Farmers traveling past at night would sometimes see her digging in the hog pen. All right. Looking for truffles. Because the <laughs> hogs weren't doing it. Yeah, lazy yeah. old bastards. <laughs> it's not their job. <laughs> it's your one job, hogs. Maybe she kept her shutters closed day and night because she was a, a devout gamer and uh, didn't like the glare off the screen of her uh, flat that's, screen. That's, I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> There's some sympathy around the table here. She had her. Well, you didn't want people looking over your shoulder while you're checking out Red Tube or Pornhub or whatever. Yeah, yeah, know. exactly, yeah. exactly. In yeah, back in 1907, mm-hmm. it was all. It was one of those things where you, the magical lanterns or whatever. The oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the ticker tape. No, no, the uh, the ones that you saw in the penny arcade. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Whatever, yeah, exactly. where you could see a horse running in yeah, slow motion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fisting. It's just fisting. <laughs> <laughs> Horses are fisting? What? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. I think they'd call it hooving. Hooving. Oh, yeah. Hooving. Horses. This guy, Ole B. Budsberg. Oh, that's a name and a half. O L E. Possibly just Ole. Ola? Ola B. Budsberg. Mm -hmm. An elderly widower from, I believe that says Iola. Okay. Washington. Mm hmm was last seen alive at the Laporte Savings Bank on April 6, 1907, when he mortgaged his Wisconsin land there, signing over a deed and obtaining several thousand dollars in cash. Ole's sons had no idea that their father had gone off to visit Gunnis. When they finally discovered this, they wrote to her asking about their father's whereabouts. She promptly responded, saying she had never seen him. Ole B. Budsberg. All right. Okay. Well, I'm... I don't know why anybody would think that she had seen him. I mean, she's uh, never been found sus- suspected of any wrongdoing. Except for uh, that one sinister look. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Candle over the bed. Sinister looks are not a crime. Yeah, that is true. Everything that precedes and uh, and potentially uh, uh, proceeds afterwards, maybe. Antecedes? Uh-huh. Several other middle-aged men appeared and disappeared in brief visits to the Gunnis Farm throughout 1907. Well, to be fair, she was dating magicians. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and ninjas. Magicians and ninjas. Magicians and ninjas. Yeah. The, the Bell Gunnis story. <laughs> then, in December 1907, Andrew Helgelin, uh-huh. a farmer from Aberdeen, South Dakota, wrote to her and was warmly received. Uh-huh. The pair exchanged many letters until a letter arrived dated January 13th, 1908. This letter was found at the Helgeline farm. It read... Um, this is Bell Gunnis' voice again. Okay. So, so do the uh, Norwegian accent, the, which is whatever the hell Swedish. I was doing before. Our Norwegian listeners are going to be so upset. Uh-huh. To the dearest friend in the world, no woman in the world is happier than I. (laughs) I know that you are now to come to me and be my own. I can tell from your letters that you are the man I want. It does not take one long to tell when to like a person, and you I like better than anyone in the world. Anyone in the world, even her own children. Think how we will enjoy each other's company. You, the sweetest man in the whole world, we will be all alone with each other, all alone, no one to see <laughs> yeah. what will happen. Uh, I think that, was that last part really in there? Yeah, no, that was, that was just me. <laughs> okay. Can you conceive of anything nicer? I think of you constantly when I hear your name mentioned, and this is when one of the dear children speaks of you. Oh. Uh, or I hear myself humming. 
<laughs> it with the words of an old love song. It is beautiful music to my ears. Wow, she's quite the wordsmith. No wonder she had so many dudes yeah, dropping right? in on her. Andrew Helgolian is certainly a beautiful name to listen to. She yeah. would have been a superstar <laughs> on OK Cupid back in the day. My heart beats in wild rapture for you, my Andrew. I love you. Come prepared to stay forever. <laughs> 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 thank goodness in uh in letter form it's impossible to get the true tone That's right because right. if, if, if she just said the forever in the exact same way that you just did maybe he might have not come come prepared to stay forever helgeline immediately traveled to laporte with a check for two thousand nine hundred dollars his entire life savings yeah well you bring your entire life savings to the woman you're about to marry absolutely i'd live with forever yeah 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 a few days after he arrived, he and Gunnis appeared at the savings bank in Laporte and deposited the check in her account. Helgeling vanished a few days later. Mm-hmm. But Gunnis appeared at the savings bank to make an additional 500 deposit and another deposit of $700 in the state bank. Mm-hmm. So maybe $2,900 wasn't his entire life savings. Maybe he was holding back that other $1,200. bucks. sock And so he got what coins. he deserved. And he apologized and left. Yes, precisely. I'm so sorry. It wasn't my entire life savings. Here's another $1,200. Yep. Deposit them separately. I'm going to leave and never come back. That's right. That's what happened, or speak right? speak to anyone in the rest of the world. Yeah. In March 1908, Gunnis sent several letters to a farmer and horse dealer in Topeka, Kansas, named Lon Townsend, mm-hmm. inviting him to visit her. He decided to put off the visit until spring and thus did not see her. In addition, Gunnis promised marriage to a suitor named Bert Albert. Oh. It's almost a palindrome. Wait, so hold on. So Bert is short for Albert. So he was named Albert Albert? Albert Albert. Albert. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a made-up name. It also sounds like Egyptian. Uh Uh-huh. Bert Albert. Oh, right? Oh, yeah. Like the Alazif. Maybe he was French. It was Bert Albert. Bert Albert. Yeah. Sounds like a secret agent now. But she called this off because of his lack of wealth. Oh. I'm safe from her. Yay, <laughs> I will live another day. <laughs> it was around this time she started to have problems with her handyman, Ray Lamphier. Huh? Ray Lamphier was deeply in love with Gunnis. He was jealous of many of the men who arrived to court his employer and began making scenes. Ooh. She fired him on February 3rd, 1908, and shortly afterwards she went to the Laporte courthouse and declared that her former employee was not in his right mind and was a menace to the public. Now, by making scenes, she, he put on plays? That's right. That's right. right. He uh, performed scenes. Yes, that's right. He was like, here's, here's how I love you. Let me count the ways. I'm going to do a performance of Romeo and Juliet. I would like to do the opening monologue to Miller's Crossing. Yeah. That's... I'm talking about ethics. <laughs> she convinced local authorities to hold a sanity hearing, but Lampier mm. was pronounced sane and released. She's very good at convincing people of things. Yeah. She's good at convincing people of emptying their bank accounts. Yep. She's good at convincing people she didn't do anything. She's good at convincing uh, sausage grinders to cave in her husband's skulls. She's very good at convincing. Gunnis was back a few days later to file a complaint with the sheriff, stating that Lampier had come to her farm and posed a threat to her family and had Lampier arrested for trespassing. All right. Lampier- but I just love you. All I want to do is love you. She's very good at convincing Ray that he loves her. Maybe. Lampier returned again and again to see her, but she repeatedly drove him away, but he was becoming increasingly more erratic. On one occasion, Lampier confided to farmer William Slater, Helgeline won't bother me no more. We fixed him for keeps. (laughs) (laughs) Andrew's brother, Asla Helgeline, wrote to Bell asking her about his sibling's whereabouts. Mm -hmm. Bad move. Gunnis wrote back, claiming his brother went to Norway to visit relatives. 
Asley wrote back saying he did not think his brother would do that without telling him first, and he believed Andrew was still in the Laporte area. Also, we have no relatives there, and there also is no Norway. <laughs> oh, yeah, That's there right. you go. He's just everything she says he doesn't believe, right? Yeah. Gunnis brazenly asserted that if Aslo wanted to come and look for his brother, she would help him conduct a search. Ooh, huh? She cautioned him that searching for missing persons was an expensive proposition, okay. and if she were to be involved in such a manhunt, that Asley should be prepared to pay her for her efforts. How much do you think it costs to search for someone? You know what I would have suggested if I was uh, Andrew's brother? I would have suggested she used the $2,900 that he put in her account to help find him. Maybe. Mm. Let's imagine for a moment that I disappeared. <laughs> okay. All right. How oh. much do you guys think oh, you're going to spend? Wait, 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 wait. I need, to, I need to revel in this for a second. <laughs> uh, how much is it going to cost you guys to search for me? Uh, Google's free, man. Uh, well, well, how much does the SkyTrain ticket cost? I will ride yeah, up and down the Sky Train for that hour and forty five minutes. That oh, chicken lets me loud. Well, that's probably you need two zones, which would be three fifty. Oh, oh, I don't know. Nah. That kind of breaks the budget. All right. Now <laughs> we know how expensive it is to search for a <laughs> person for a torrent. Now that Asley Helgeline was making inquiries about Andrew, Ray Lamphere posed an unresolved danger. On April 27th, Gunnis told a lawyer, Emmy Leiter, that she feared for her life and that of her children. Mm -hmm. She claimed that Lamphere had threatened to kill her and burn her house down. She wanted to make out a will in case Lamphere went through with his threats. In the will, she left her property to her children or in the, in the event of their deaths to the, quote, Norwegian Orphan's Home. Uh-huh. Well, that's a good cause. When the lighter suggested that wasn't the official name of the orphanage, that oh. he needed a day or two to get its real name before he could authorize the will, Bell insisted that such business could be completed after the fact and that they should both sign the will now. Mm. There's no time to wait. <laughs> I could be dead in two days. <laughs> she then went to one of the Laporte banks holding the mortgage for her property and paid this off. She did not go to the police to tell them about Lamphere's allegedly life-threatening conduct. Uh, okay. All right. So. So what's happening here? She's. She went to What a is this Norwegian's orphan's home business? I don't know. She's like uh, in her will. Uh, in the event of my children's death. Is she going to change her name to Norwegian's orphan's home? Oh, there you go. That, right. This is how this whole plot is all going to play out. I She's like, like the Highlander faking her death and starting a new life, except well, she t picks terrible new names. She is like five foot ten and over 200 pounds. You know, it might not be strange to be called Norwegian's orphan's home. Mm. She's certainly responsible for several orphans, I think. Uh -huh. <laughs> well, I like how though, she's like, and I'm going to leave all my money to my children in case they're dead. Mm -hmm. uh, then it will go somewhere else. <laughs> Joe Maxson, who had been hired to replace Lamphere in February 1908, awoke in the early hours of April 28th when he smelled smoke in his room, oh. which was on the second floor of the Gunnis house. So uh, Bell was a big time smoker and uh, so. he was allergic to tobacco smoke. Mm -hmm. And so he lodged a complaint with the Better Business Bureau. That's right. Said she is not a good employer. Uh, I, it's it's uh, riling up my uh, my emphysema and asthma. That's right. Mm -hmm. Or he couldn't open the hall door as the frame had warped due to the heat from flames in the hallway. Oh, Maxon okay. leapt from the second story window and got help from other nearby farmhands. To with the amazing uh, score of adventure music. Mm -hmm. Oh, around. wow. Yeah. No, he's playing his head. He's singing along. <laughs> they threw bricks through the windows and yelled the names of Belle and her three children. But by the time the fire department arrived, the farmhouse was a gutted heap of smoking ruins. Well, the the bricks that they threw through the window all killed the children. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was like, shh. Like and then they were just about they're just at the window about to get out smash their <laughs> yeah. head and they fall down. You know what they should have done? They should have thrown sausage grinders to the windows. Oh. We know how safe those are. 
Yeah. <laughs> I actually think we have a photo of the burnt out farmhouse that we could put on the website at causticsodapodcast.com All right. if you want to check out the burnt out farmhouse aftermath. Four bodies were found inside the house of three children and one adult woman. Oh. All right. So there you go. Three kids and Bell Gunnis. Uh, case, case closed. Hold yeah, up. It was, it was hold uh, up. Ray Lamphere had finally burned down the building as he had uh, purportedly threatened. Okay. The woman's body could not be identified conclusively Uh-oh. since the body had no head. Uh-oh. Okay. Oh, what? Ooh. Okay, there's a, head- <laughs> a headless body. The lighter came forward to recount his tale about Guinness's will and how she feared Lamphere would kill her and her family and burn her house down. Well, well when did she make out this will? On April 27th. Uh, yeah, the day before. Oh, so she makes out a will on April 27th. And on April 28th, her house burns down. Yes. Well, she had stated that she feared for her life and that there was no time to do any- No time to wait to figure out the proper names of orphanages. That's right. When the sheriff caught up with Lamphere, who was working on another farm outside Laporte, before the lawman uttered a word, Lamphere asked, did Winnow Gunnis and the kids get out all right? Okay. (laughs) That's a weird thing to say. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When a sheriff- Okay, Torn, if you're standing on a farm- doing whatever you do on a farm, uh, and you see a sheriff walking towards you, you turn to them, what are the first words out of your mouth? Did Widow Gunnis and the kids get out all right? Oh, okay. So there, it checks out, Joe. It that's checks right. out. Yeah, that, okay. uh, uh, that's a perfectly logical thing to say. Lamphere was then told about the fire, but he denied having anything to do with it, claiming that he was not near the farm when the blaze occurred. John Soliam, a local youth, said that he had been watching the Gunnis place and saw Lamphere running down the road just before the structure erupted in flames. This led to an odd exchange. Lamphere said to the boy, you would look me in the eye and say that. To which the boy replied, yes, I will. You found me hiding behind the bushes and told me you'd kill me if I didn't get out of there. Lamphere was immediately arrested and charged with murder and arson. That was this boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that he's just watching random farmhouses in the middle of the night and lurking in the bushes. That's right. He was uh. going to his own finishing school. <laughs> yeah, the, the shrubbery at the edge of the uh, at the edge of the property. Well, finishing school. You mean that shrubbery outside the, uh, the old widower's place? Yep. Here's your, your mortarboard. He just, uh, this kid just can't get enough of, uh, of large women digging in hog pens. Just, <laughs> just sit up all night waiting for her to go. Uh, root around in the hog pen. Scores of investigators, sheriff's deputies, coroner's men, and volunteers began to search the ruins for evidence. C. Christofferson, a Ooh. neighboring farmer, took one look at the charred remains of the headless woman's body and said that this was not the remains of Belle Gunnis. So did Mrs. Austin Cutler, an old friend of Gunnis. More of Gunnis's friends, Mrs. May Olander and Mr. Sigward Olson, arrived from Chicago. Mm-hmm. They also examined the remains of the headless woman and said it was not Gunnis. Right, so the jig is up. Okay, Chris Christopherson comes over and says, mur, mur, mur. "Oh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 talented songwriter and performer torn, and and also a farmer at the turn of the century." That callback to Highlander. Mm. That's true. <laughs> Doctors measured the remains and even making allowances for the missing neck and head, stated that the corpse <laughs> stated that the corpse was that of a woman who stood five foot three inches tall and weighed about one hundred and fifty pounds. Oh, oh right. much shorter and lighter, uh, like uh-huh. seven inches shorter. Yeah, uh-huh. and. <laughs> Unless Bell Gunnis had like a super tall head that was also very weighty. Oh <laughs> yes, she's like all head. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. She could have like had a Linus. career. Well, I think we can get a picture of Bell Gunnis. Do we have a she uh, could look picture like of Sinestro. Bell Gunnis? <laughs> no, no uh, the leader. The yeah, leader. I, well, I, there, I think we have a picture of Bell Gunnis. We could post on the website. Oh, uh, nice. Take a look at it. Let's see like how big her head is. Lady. That's oh, not a very big mm, head. Seems normal sized. 
Yeah, head is, there's a couple of pictures, and that, yeah, that's a fairly roundish head. Very, you know, kind of normal-sized head. Yep. Mm. I'm going to call right, that, so uh, that theory maybe debunked uh, a little uh, bit. Yeah. Ooh, unless those old-timey cameras, the lenses, like, really uh, distorted things. In reality, she had a funny head. Yeah, that it could be. Yeah, yeah. Because they just that's just that's the most logical explanation for this discrepancy in height and weight. The the fire shrunk her down. Yeah, like uh, <laughs> like beef jerky. Like beef jerky, exactly. Like uh, she got. Uh, She's a shrinky dink. Uh, Put her in the oven. <laughs> the the Laporte clothiers who made Bell's dresses and other garments swore that Gunnis was taller than five foot eight inches and mm. weighed between two hundred and two hundred eighty pounds. Yes. Mm. Dr. J. Myers. Between 200 and 280 pounds. Like, not between 240 and 250, <laughs> but between 280 pounds. Like, another eight-year-old's worth <laughs> Well, mass. maybe, listen, if she's tall, like, you know, almost six feet tall or something, maybe she carries it well. I guess so. Also, mm-hmm. they wear those, those, those dresses with yeah. the big bustles and stuff, so you can't tell if her ass is huge oh, or if that's sh- just the dress. Shirt waists. And yep. shirt, shirt waists. waists. Call back to our fire episode. Dr. J. Myers sent the stomach contents of all four victims to a pathologist in Chicago who would report months later that the organs contained lethal doses of strychnine. Mm. Ah. Ah. The jig seems to be up. Serena Lampier broke into the house, mm-hmm. poured poison down everyone's throats yep. until they died of strychnine poisoning, mm-hmm. then took all the bodies into the basement, chopped off... Bell Gunnis' head, mm-hmm. lit the house on fire, mm-hmm. made off with the head, ran into a boy yes, at the end of the driveway who- Went to finishing school. Went to finishing school, uh, but doesn't mention the existence of any head, and uh, the sheriff apprehends him uh, the next day. Case closed. Well, Asla Helgelin arrived in Laporte shortly after the fire and told the sheriff he believed his brother had met with foul play at Gunnis' hands. He produced dozens of letters, most of which focused on money. Oh, now I've got to do the Bell Gunnis voice. Do it, can you do it better than Torin? This will be a first. Uh, <clears throat> hey, mine's the original. Do not send any cash or money through the bank. Banks cannot be trusted nowadays. Change all of the cash you have into paper bills. <gasps> Largest denomination you can get. And sew them real good and fast on the inside of your underwear. You think a Norwegian woman sounds like female Mario? Be careful and sew it real good. And be sure do not tell anyone of it. Wow. Not even to your nearest relative. Mm. Let this only be a secret between us two and no one else. Probably <laughs> we'll have many other secrets, do you not think? Yes, yes. Yes, I do think that. <laughs> it's a me, Bell Gunnis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Joe Maxson uh, told the sheriff that Gunnis had ordered him to bring loads of dirt by wheelbarrow to an area where the hogs were fed. There were many deep depressions in the ground, and Gunnis had told Maxson they were filled with rubbish. She wanted him to make the ground level, so he filled them in. Asla Helgelin and a team of men went to the farm and began to dig in the hog pen on May 3rd, 1908. Now, this is something I found interesting doing the research for this show. They didn't really seem to have the concept of crime scene down pat yet. Right. Like, uh, there's all these photos uh, being taken from the excavation, like, in and around the farm, like, trying to figure out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And there are scores. Like, I'm talking hundreds of people standing around watching the police and the volunteers do their business. Getting their muddy footprints everywhere. Well, and, and not only that, like, that Asla Helgelin hears this story about these holes in the hog pen, so he gets a bunch of guys, and they go to the place, and like, we're going to dig in the hog pen. And, you know, 
law enforcement was like, all right, okay, go fill your boots, right? But what do we care? <laughs> like, there's just this whole idea of crime scene and preservation of evidence and whatnot is just like non-existent in mm-hmm. 1908. It's very interesting. We to me. got real police work to do. You can't be bothering us with this murder, fire, arson, insurance. You know, you know scam. what? The the CSI radio play from 1906 <laughs> was 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 a much different than the television version that we know today. He says he like, didn't do it. He must be innocent. <laughs> She's a lady. Let's go look for a hobo. So Osley and a team of men went to the farm and began digging the hog pen on May 3rd, 1908. The diggers soon unearthed the body of Andrew Halgaline. It would later be discovered that Andrew's overcoat was being worn by Lampier. Oh, oh, oh okay. That's damn well, it. Well, it was a good overcoat. It was, it was a nice, in, it was a nice In his defense, uh, Andrew Halgaline's body was in pieces. Arms, legs, head were dismembered and packed in a series of flour and produce sacks. Before the day was out, they had disinterred four more bodies. Two male and two female, packed in the same manner as Helgeline, one of which was Jenny Olson, the foster Olson. daughter who vanished in December of 1906. Right, yes. Who obviously had not I forgot about her. <laughs> that, so had Belle and the townsfolk, evidently. Uh, who obviously had not gone to California to go to school, as Belle had claimed. Uh, though badly decomposed, her facial features were recognizable and her long blonde hair still clung to what was left of her skin. Well, to be fair, she was finished. Ah, yes, so, in a manner of speaking. Oh, maybe that's it. Belle was just a master of puns. It's time to go to finishing school. Oh, or one-liners. Oh, she's just so ahead of her time. Oh, that's it. Finishing school is where you learn to assassinate people. Oh, she probably did it in like an Arnold accent. Like, she's gone to finishing school. She's finished. (laughs) Yeah, school. For those of uh, weak constitution, you may want to skip this one, but we do have a photo of Andrew Helgeline's uh, recovered body uh, from the crime scene. So, yeah, he's in pieces. Mm, Chunky you know. style. Yeah, you kind of like, he's, he's sort of like kind of human form. Yeah. But his legs are like up near his ears and his like head is over by his shoulder. Mm, he's a pile of parts in a bag. He's a pile of parts in a bag. So if you're feeling, but he's covered in dirt. So, you know, if you're feeling a little squeamish, maybe it's okay, but a lot squeamish, probably skip it. Uh, as days progressed, one body after another was discovered in the hog pen. Ole B. Budsberg. Ole! Who vanished in May 1907. Thomas Lindbo, who had left Chicago and gone to work as a hired man for Gunnis in 1905. Henry Gerholt of Scandinavia, Wisconsin. That's kind of nail on the head, isn't Why it? Why was it? <laughs> who had gone to wed her a year earlier, taking $1,500 in cash. Gerholt's watch was found elsewhere on the property. Olaf Zvenrud from Chicago. John Moe of Elbow Lake, Minnesota. His watch was also found in Lampier's possession. Okay. Uh, Olaf Lindblom from Wisconsin. Other possible victims might have included William Mingay, a coachman from New York City who left for Laporte on April 1st, 1904. Herman Konitzer of Chicago, who took $5,000 from the bank and went to Laporte to marry a wealthy widow and disappeared in January of 1906. Charles Edmond of New Carlisle, Indiana. George Bear of Tuscola, Illinois. Christy Hilkvin of Barron County, Wisconsin, who sold his farm and came to Laporte in 1906. Charles Nyberg, a 28-year-old Scandinavian immigrant who lived in Philadelphia, who took $500 and told friends he was going to visit Gunnis in June 1906 and never came came back john h mcjunkin that sounds like a makeup <laughs> name junkin i'm sure it's pronounced mcjunkin but it's spelt mcjunkin what do you do oh i'm a scrap dealer <laughs> oh of course he is. mcjunkin scrap he was of coriopolis near pittsburgh he left oh. his wife in december 1906 after corresponding with a laporte woman never to be seen again 
Olaf Jensen, a Norwegian immigrant, wrote his relatives in 1906 to tell them he was going to marry a wealthy widow in Laporte. Henry Bijga of Laporte and his hired man named Edward Canary, both of whom disappeared in June 1906. Wow. Bert Chase of Mishawaka, Indiana, sold his butcher shop and told friends of a wealthy widow he was going to look up. His brother would later receive a telegram from Aberdeen, South Dakota, claiming Bert had been killed in a train wreck. After an investigation, the account in the telegram was found to be fictitious. Mm. Tuns Peterson Lean of Rushford, Minnesota, disappeared around April 2nd, 1907. A hired man named George Bradley of Tuscola, Illinois, is alleged to have gone to Laporte to meet a widow and her three children in October of 1907. T.J. Tiefland of Minneapolis is alleged to have come see Gunnison in late 1907. Frank Ridinger of Farmer of Waukesha, Wisconsin, traveled to Indiana in 1907 to marry and never returned. Emil Tell, a Swede from Kansas City, Missouri, is alleged to have gone to 1907 to Laporte. Lee Porter of Bartonville, Oklahoma, separated from his wife and told his brother he was going wow. to marry a wealthy widow in Laporte. John E. Hunter left Duquesne, Pennsylvania on November 25th, 1907, after telling his daughters he was going to marry a wealthy widow in northern Indiana. Two other Pennsylvanians, George Williams of Wapawalapan. <laughs> nice. So many of these names of places and people sound completely made up. It's awesome. I love the 19th century. Uh, and Ludwig Stoll of Mount Jaeger also left their homes to marry in Indiana. Shout out to anyone who lives, still lives in Wapawalapan. <laughs> Wapawalapan sounds like an awesome place. Uh, you know what it does? I bet you they have a helicopter school there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wapawalapan is an unincorporated community in lower Luzerne County, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is designated a populated community place. <laughs> this is where people live, we think. Abraham Phillips, a railway man of Burlington, West Virginia, left in the winter of 1907 to go to northern Indiana and marry a rich widow. A railway watch was found in the debris of the house. Benjamin Carling of Chicago, Illinois, was last seen by his wife in 1907 after telling her that he was going to Laporte to secure an investment with a rich widow. He had with him $1,000 and borrowed money from several investors as well. In June 1908, his widow was able to identify his remains by the contour of his skull and three missing teeth. Oh, nice. How distinctive does the contour of your skull need to be that it's when it doesn't have skin or hair on it anymore that your wife can still go, oh, that's him. Well, that's the that's that was like their kink, right? Oh, I love this dent in your skull. Oh, that's what do they call that when uh, uh, phrenology when you phrenology, can like yeah. tell the future from feeling a person's skull? So this was like uh, phrenelia. Oh, it's more. I think it's more about your personality. Phrenophilia. 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 Yeah. All right. That's a new thing. Uh oh. Uh oh. Torn just might have invented something that's not going to show up on the internet. Humping. Dents in the head. Uh, August Gunderson of Green Lake, Wisconsin. Oli Olison. Oh, that sounds unbelievable. I am Oli Olison. Oh, it Oli sounds better when you say it in an accent like that. Doesn't it sound so stupid? Wasn't he an NHL uh, goaltender? Oli. No, that was Olaf Kolzig. Oh, Olaf Kolzig. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, they called him Oli the goalie. That's they why call I would, him yeah, the goalie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Lindner Nicholson of Huron, South Dakota. Andrew Anderson of Lawrence, Kansas. God, these Scandinavians just love the alliteration, don't they? Uh, Johan Sorensen of St. Joseph, Missouri. Potential unknown victims include... So these all these guys were 1907, is that correct? Uh, no, some of them were like 1904, 1905. Okay. They were, you know, in that 1902 to 1907 range when okay. gentlemen callers would come and never leave. 
Uh, potential unknown victims included the owner of a gold ring marked SB May 28, 1907, was found in the ruins. Oh. An unknown man and woman are alleged to have disappeared in September 1906, the same night Jenny Olson went missing. Gunnis uh, claimed that they were a Los Angeles professor and his wife who had taken Jenny to California. A 50-year-old hired man from Ohio disappeared and Gunnis became heir to his horse and buggy. Oh, delightful. Uh, an unnamed man from Montana told people at a resort he was going to sell Gunnis his horse and buggy, which was later found with several other horses and buggies at the farm. Okay. Well, you don't throw the buggy out with the bathwater, right? Uh, most of the remains found on the property could not be identified because right. of the crude recovery methods. The exact number yeah, of individuals. Yeah, like 20 guys yeah. with their shovels. Yeah. Just oh, like, I kind of just cleared, cleaved through his face with the edge of my shovel. Just like, throwing uh, body parts into a wheelbarrow. Next. Uh, the exact number of individuals unearthed on the Gunnis farm is unknown, but at least 12 bodies were found in various sites on the property. Gunnis's dentist said that if teeth or dental work of the headless corpse were located, he could ascertain if the body was Bell. Right. So Louis, quote, Klondike, end quote, Schultz. Hey, Klondike, get over here. <laughs> A former miner was hired to build the sluice and sift through the debris for teeth. Oh, nice. On May 19, 1908, a piece of bridge work was found consisting of two human canine teeth, their roots still attached with porcelain teeth and gold crown work, and Bell's dentist identified them as work done for her. As a result, the coroner officially concluded that the adult female body discovered in the ruins was Bell Gunnis. It was <laughs> Bell Gunnis. Yes, because they, the, found, because they found a bridge. They found a bridge work that she had owned at one point and had that done for her hmm. near the body hmm. in the debris. But was she sleeping with the coroner as well? <laughs> did the coroner, uh, did he, she send love letters to the coroner? <laughs> I have that's no a, idea. That's a dangling. Again, a dangler. this brings me back to this like investigative techniques seem very rudimentary here. We found a bridge. Is next to a body that doesn't really fit her physical description in any way, shape, or form, but it's in her dress and her teeth are next to it. That's her. They were just they were just kind of finding their footing. They were trying everything. They're finding their teething.
So the coroner has ruled Belle Gunness is dead. Her body is consumed in a fire, uh, head or no head. Here endeth the episode. The end, right? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, we've got the trial of Ray Lamphere. Oh. Because they have that guy to blame it on. Right, because he's the one who beheaded, set the fire, beheaded Belle Gunness. Poisoned the children. And was seen by a local child without a head in his hand. in a bush. So somewhere between the driveway, the end of the driveway and the house, Hmm. he got rid of that head. And I'm sure they found that when they were digging the whole property up, right? Ray Lamphere was arrested on May 22nd, 1908, and tried for murder and arson. Okay, that sounds about right. His defense hinged on the assertion that the body was not Gunnis's, okay. which I think is pretty reasonable. That's pretty... He, he's, his, his lawyer's no dummy? Yep. Strangely, the debates over Bell's fate aligned according to political affiliations, oh. with Republicans believing that Bell was dead and Democrats insisting that she had faked her death and gotten away. That's weird. That now, is weird. Now, I remember there's this time when the Democrats and Republicans kind of switched. One was left and one was right, and then they kind of leapfrogged was this before or after that i can never remember when that happened yeah but with they all there's also like a a southern democrat versus a yeah. northern democrat thing american politics is yeah. uh so we're just gonna say we have confusing. no idea how this lines up to current or yeah like how it lines up philosophically just yeah. knowing that i got no idea yeah but republicans thought she was dead and democrats right why, why would why would political parties care whether she was dead or not? probably because she was a republican, republican? okay maybe I don't know. She, don- she had a lot of money to donate to the I, Republican Party. I don't know. I don't. I don't see her donating anything to anyone. <laughs> yeah, <true. laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> if you send me some money, I will be sure to donate it to the Republican Party. She will donate a sausage grinder to your head. Accepted. I have uh, an mm-hmm. excess of strychnine here to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. In the ruins were found a partially burned book about anatomy and one on hypnosis. Oh. When poison was found in the four bodies found in the house, the Democrats considered this proof for their side, but that too was contested. The toxicologist who tested the remains had received three stomachs mixed together in one jar. Wait, what? After arsenic had been applied as a result of a preservative process during the autopsy. Oh, so. So uh, like we found, here's the three stomachs. Yeah, so they fucked up the evidence. But he found strychnine, not arsenic. Again. Oh, yeah. Uh, investigative techniques, maybe not. Yeah, not top shelf. This is not Scotland Yard in backwoods Indiana. All right, Tommy, send those three stomachs in, but uh, put them all in the same jar. Put them all in the same jar. We did shipping and, stuff and coat them with poison oh, to yeah. preserve them. Yeah, and we'll and we'll check for poison later. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lamphere's lawyer challenged Dorton's identification of the teeth and bridge work. A local jeweler testified, though the gold in the bridge work had emerged from the fire almost undamaged, the fierce heat of the conflagration had melted the gold plating on several watches and items of gold jewelry. Oh, all right. That's a good point. They replicated the conditions of the fire by attaching a similar piece of dental bridge work to a human jawbone and placing it in the blacksmith's forge. Well, that's exciting. The huh? real teeth crumbled and disintegrated with the gold parts melting, damaged to a much greater degree than those in the bridge work offered as evidence of Guinness. Gunness's identity. So this is basically the 1908 version of uh, telling OJ to put the glove on. Yeah. Right. Joe Maxson and another man also testified that they'd seen Klondike Schultz take the bridge work out of his pocket and plant it just oh, before it was discovered. Snap. Right. At the time of the trial, Schultz was nowhere to be found and so wasn't able to testify. That's interesting. So who hired Schultz to... Look for teeth. It's to sift for teeth. Maybe, Maybe there's a uh, well. Remember, there's like conspiracy. twenty guys there, right? Maybe yeah. the coroner. but he was hired especially to do that job to yeah. sift mm. for teeth. He was hired by the police, I think. But maybe. Maybe the coroner just doesn't like open cases, and he went, "All right, this has been going on long enough. Let's let's uh, we've been at this for weeks. Uh, let's just call her Bell Gunners and be done with it." 
Here, have some bridge work. Right. As well, witnesses would testify that Gunnis was seen in town buying a large amount of kerosene the day before the fire, and the local banks would confirm that Bell had practically emptied her bank accounts in the days leading up to the fire. <laughs> Almost as if it was planned. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. If Ray Lampier uh, wasn't uh, responsible for the beheading of the woman, then how could they possibly find Belgunas dead? Because she can't cut her own head off. Yeah. Somebody had to cut that woman's head off. Yes. Yep. And curiously, Lamphere was found guilty of arson, but acquitted of murder. Right. Because they all oh, went, okay. oh, um, huh. Yeah. Yep. On November 26th, 1908, he was sentenced to 20 years in the state prison. However, Ooh. he died of tuberculosis on December 30th, 1909, oh. a little more than a year later. Oh, there you go. He only got to serve one year. I bet that if you asked me to cut my own head off, I could do it. Yes, but then how would you get it out of the house? Yeah. That, no, okay, it. that part. <laughs> that could you part. cut your own head off and, and walk it outside? Mm, I'd have to think about that. That's some kind of Rube Goldberg-esque type machine oh, that it, is made of wax, so it burns. Right, and it ends up fire. in a catapult, and so it's like yes. flung yes. across yes. into the next county. Yes, exactly. You know. <laughs> Be the greatest death view ever. Like your head would still be partly alive, flying through the air. Uh, uh just. I mean, yeah. how is it possible that they did not come to the conclusion at the end of this investigation that Bell Gunnis brought a woman in, cut her head off, left her body behind, and took the head with her when she went? Because it had to be a guy. It had to be a man. They really, they really women hung are, up on this. Women, women are soft, gentle creatures who wouldn't harm a heart. They would have to use some kind of subterfuge and poison. <laughs> That's not womanly. <laughs> oh, this is crazy to me. Uh, I got a few uh, little odds and ends here that oh. interesting tidbits that are sort of associated with the story that uh, came tidbits to Tidbits or titbits? Uh, I'll leave that up to you, whether or not you touch your boobs while I'm telling you this. Uh, stories of narrow escape started coming in from men who had answered Bell Gunnis' ads. Some of them even had letters Bell had written in reply. Carl Peterson from Michigan came forth with a letter which read in part, I have decided that every applicant must make a satisfactory deposit of cash or security. Now, if you think you are in some way to put up a thousand dollars cash, we can talk matters over personally. If you cannot, is it even worthwhile to consider? Uh, he did not have the $1,000 in cash at the time, so his proposal was not seriously considered. Mm, okay. There's a lucky guy. He's almost <laughs> as lucky as Bell Guns. Yeah. Maxson would later tell his sister a story that she would retell in public. Ooh. Evidently, on the night of the fire, Maxson had awoken in the middle of the night to find Gunnis standing over his bed, watching him. Alarmed, he sat up, to which she said, I had just wanted to see if you were asleep. Uh, Bell slipped from his room, and as she did so, he thought he saw a hammer hidden in the folds of her skirt. Oh. Uh, a schoolmate of Bell's daughter, Myrtle, would later come forward to say that only a week before the fire, Myrtle had whispered in her ear, Myrtle, my mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell us. <laughs> yeah, but kids will say anything. You can't, you can't trust. You know, kids will, say, kids will say the darndest things. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. what I heard on a TV show once. Yep. On May 29th, 1908, an auction took place on the Gunnis property to sell off those effects which survived the... F Wait a second. Hold on a second. May 29th, 1908. When was the trial? May he was arrested on May 22nd. So the trial is still going on, and they're selling off of personal effects of the Gunnis family? Yep. Including Bell's collie dog. 
which has been outside during the blaze, one reporter observed, souvenir buyers bid up everything to many times its value. A shovel worth 60 cents brought $2.10. Oh, yeah. Who knows? It might have buried Andrew Helgeline. Mm-hmm. A single entrepreneur bought the dog, the pony and cart, even the barn cat and her kittens, and exhibited them around the state. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> so well, what is this exhibit? It's the, the animals <laughs> the around animals from, of, of the Gunners Farm. Of the Gunners Murder Farm. Yep. I don't, I, I don't know what you're paying to see there. <laughs> I guess it's just like freak shows. They didn't have YouTube. Nope. Yeah, so. This it, is what you did. People just, well, I mean. Literally, we've got photos. We'll put them on the website too, causticsodapodcast.com, of, of looky loos watching investigators yeah. dig through the rubble. Yeah, like there's just literally hundreds of people just standing around watching them dig things up. Yeah. Like just. I got nothing better to do. I got nothing better to do. I'm just going to stand here and watch. Hey, good excuse to take the day off work. I'm going to watch Andrew Helgeline go, I think my brother's in the hog pen, and go over there and start digging away and go, Eureka, I found him. <laughs> Hey, and that's his coat as Ray Lampier runs away in the distance. (laughs) (laughs) On January 14th, 1910, Reverend E.A. Shell came forward with a confession he claimed Lampier made to him while he was comforting the dying man. In it, Lampier revealed Gunnis' crimes and swore that she was still alive. Still alive. Uh, you think you might want to say that during the trial? Well, no, they did. That was his defense. Okay. That was his defense. I'm not guilty of murder because she's still alive. Right. Well, this is... Uh, he's swearing again. This is a year after he died of tuberculosis, though. Right. But, the, but this so is the confession saying right. that he thought Gunnis was still alive, which yep. is not a surprise because he said in his trial, I think Gunnis is still alive. Yeah. Lamphere stated to the Reverend and to a fellow convict, Harry Myers. You looked at me like I should crack a joke about Harry Myers. (laughs) That he had not murdered anyone, but he had helped Gunnis bury many of her victims. Ah, okay. Lamphere said that when a victim arrived, she made him comfortable, charming him. Oh, now hold on. Comfortable or comfortable? Comfortable. And cooking a large meal. Most times, she drugged his coffee, and when the man was in a stupor, she split his head with a meat cleaver. To save time, she would sometimes poison her victim's coffee with strychnine. Other times, she would wait for the suitor to go to bed and then enter the bedroom and chloroform them. Oh, okay. So she mixed it up a little bit, you Mm -hmm. know? He wasn't afraid of, uh, you know, trying new methods, see if uh, something else might work. A physically powerful woman, Gunnis would carry the body to the basement to dissect it. Okay. Belle was an expert at dissection, thanks to instruction from her second husband, the butcher, Peter Gunnis. Okay, yeah, for butchering hogs and whatnot. Butchering a dude and butchering a hog, not too far from each other? Yep. I would think not, yeah. (laughs) With the exception of bacon. She would then... Oh, human bacon. Mm, I don't think we're... Would we call that long bacon? Long bacon. Yeah, there you go. She would then bundle the remains and bury them. Sometimes she also varied her disposal method, dumping the corpse into the hog-scalding vat. Okay, mm. get me one of those. And covering the remains with quicklime. I think a hog-scalding vat is when you, it's when, um, you know, people who actually, like, slaughter pigs for market, I think it's you put it in the super hot water and it, like, makes the skin come off or something. Mm, I think. Maybe. I bet it smells great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it probably uh, quite effectively masks the stench of rotting human flesh. Yeah, maybe. I think it burns the hair off the pig. There you go. However, if Belle was overly tired after the murder, oh, 
Oh, I just had to carry this body all the way to the basement. Knackered after this murder. Uh She might just chop up the remains and feed them to the hogs in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. Lamphere also cleared up the mystery of the headless female corpse, claiming that Gunnis had lured a woman from Chicago on the pretense of hiring her as a housekeeper only days before the fire. According to Lamphere, Gunnis drugged the woman, bashed in her head, and decapitated the body, taking the head to a swamp where she tied weights to it and threw it into deep water. She dressed the female corpse in her old clothing, then torched the house and fled. He admitted to helping her, but said she had not left by the road where he waited for her, instead cutting across the open field and disappearing into the woods. Lampier said Gunnis had murdered 42 men by his count and had taken amounts from them ranging from $1,000 to $32,000. She had allegedly accumulated more than $250,000 through her murder schemes over the years, about uh, $6.3 million. Oh, that is profitable. That is profitable. Uh, Who knew insurance companies could be taken for such a... uh... Such a lofty sum. Well, I guess actually the second half of her career wasn't it had nothing to do with insurance. It was no, just getting it, people to bring, bring cash. Bring your money. Yeah. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> we'll have many secrets. <laughs> slashy, slashy, bonky, bonky, cutty, cutty, Bernie, Bernie. Uh, chloroform me, chloroform me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Gunnis was for several decades allegedly seen or sighted in cities and towns throughout the United States. Hmm. A local delivery boy who had brought groceries to the home of Elizabeth Smith, Gunnis's closest friend in Laporte, three days after the fire, later said he saw Bell standing in Smith's kitchen. Terrified he didn't tell anyone for years, and of course the story would never be verified. Laporte residents were divided between believing that she was killed by Lampier and that she had faked her own death terrified but you could like go to the cops and say she's there let's go get her yeah but if you're like a little kid like she probably had like boogeyman kind of yeah. like uh, grade yes. you know uh uh quality or like he might even thought she was a ghost because they're all talking about that she and the kids are dead in the basement mm. of her farmhouse at that point right it's only three days after the fire they haven't fa- they haven't done the measurements or talked to the dressmaker yeah, she might whatnot. she might send you a letter and then it's all over <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're very you pie just start piper. swooning. Yeah, that's right. You can't help yourself. You have to go to her side. What if she offers me a coffee? <laughs> she was really good at convincing people of things. Even after death, she convinced them that that body was hers. So I find this crazy how easily people. I mean, maybe maybe she just had a really like beautiful Norwegian voice. It was like hypnotic and penmanship. She was like a new ravine, a murderous ravine. <laughs> The man they call Ravine. That's the one. Uh, Friends, acquaintances, and amateur detectives apparently spotted her on the streets of Chicago, San Francisco, New York, and L.A. As late as 1931, Gunnis was reported alive and living in a Mississippi town where she supposedly owned a great deal of property and lived the life of a doyenne. A what? Uh, Just like a, you know, large landowner. Okay. You know, kind of a mistress. A woman who is the most respected or prominent person in a particular field. Oh. So she's the doyenne of daytime TV, mm-hmm. is the example. Also in 1931, a woman known as Esther Carlson was arrested in L.A. for poisoning August Lindstrom for money. Two people who had known Gunnis claimed to recognize her from the photographs in the paper, and this suspicion would be widely reported in the media even at the time. Carlson died of tuberculosis while awaiting trial. 
Uh, oh. The body found in the burnt-out farmhouse and officially identified as Belle Gunnis was buried next to her first husband. On November 5th, 2007, with the permission of descendants of Belle's sister, oh. the headless body was exhumed from Gunnis's grave by a team of forensic anthropologists oh. and graduate students from the University of Indianapolis. Oh, the graduate students. What a joy. Uh, well, you know, they read these stories and they get all like kind of nerded out, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was initially hoped that a sealed envelope flap on a letter found at the victim's farm would contain enough DNA to compare it to the body. Unfortunately, the results were inconclusive. No. So efforts continue to find a reliable source for comparison purposes, including the disinterment of additional bodies and contact with well-known living relatives continue. Sounds fun. In the news. <laughs> LaPorte, Indiana, 2014. Oh. Were Bell Gunnis and Esther Carlson the same person? This is a question Norwegian murder researcher Knut Erik Jensen, or maybe it's pronounced Jensen. It's probably Jensen, isn't probably it? Probably Jensen. Knut Erik Jensen sought to answer once and for all when he spoke during Bell Gunnis Day. What? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we all go out and murder some children for insurance money. <laughs> <laughs> have the parade and all these bodies covered in dirt. <laughs> you eat lots of bacon and coffee. Bell Gunnis Day at the LaPorte County Historical Society Museum. Esther Carlson, a Los Angeles woman long suspected of being Bell Gunnis, may very well have been a serial killer. Her first husband, Charles Hansen, drowned only nine months after she married him. Her second husband, Charles Carlson, passed away in 1925, possibly due to poisoning, but officially ruled a stomach cancer. Right. Sound familiar? Yes, yes it does. A border living with her family, Gustav Alzen died after allegedly committing suicide by swallowing a bottle of strychnine. Okay. Her second husband's close friend, August Lindstrom, died suddenly in 1931 with enough arsenic in him to kill 40 people. Do not eat that man's corpse. It's deadly poison. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, yeah, unless you share it with 41 other people. Right. Uh, yes. There you go, yes. Then you just get really sick. Uh, evidence linked Esther to the purchase of the poison that killed him and who was the beneficiary of Lindstrom's will. Okay, now we're doing some police work. Well, that's how she got arrested. Uh, she got arrested for his murder, and that's what she was awaiting trial, mm. right? The first connection made between Gunnis and Esther was a February 20th, 1931 article in the LA Times, which posited a physical similarity between Esther and Gunnis, although the article also noted that Esther was too young. Esther denied the claim, saying she was from Sweden, not Norway. Oh, see, a common, a common misconception. Yeah. Uh, it's that yeah. accent. <laughs> and that she came to New York in 1892, not in 1881, like uh, Gunnis did. Uh, through Jensen's research, she discovered prior names for Esther Carlson included Augusta Carlson, Augusta and Esther Hansen, and Augusta and Esther Janssen, and surmised her full name when she came to the U.S. was probably Esther Augusta Janssen. A marriage certificate confirmed an Augusta Hansen was married to Charles Carlson on May 20, 1911 in Arizona. But she could still have been Belle, Jensen sure. said, noting Gunnis could have traveled to Arizona and married Charles after fleeing Laporte in 1908. Mm-hmm. In a 1910 census from Arizona, Esther was listed as 30 years old, and a 1920 census in California listed her at 40. Gunnis would have been 48 years old in 1908, so the ages of the two women didn't match in the least. Yeah, but it's easy to lie on a census even today. True, but they would have been... I mean, she would have been 50 in 1910, pretending to be 30. That's right. I mean, that's kind of hard to pull off. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) Okay. The census taker is going to be... All right. <laughs> is that exactly what a census taker sounds yes. like? Yes. Okay. Torn has been a census taker. Oh, have you? I don't know. No. <laughs> but if he was, that's it. All but right. But if I was, that would be my attitude. Sure, uh, whatever, man. 
<laughs> Jensen. No, I'm a woman. Whatever. I'll put down. That's sorry. Why. I'll cross that. These out. are all actually filled in and prior is, to my is, visit. I'm just going to cross anything that's really incredibly not obvious. This is exactly why you're not a census taker. <laughs> uh, Jensen went to Hartford and dug up the marriage certificate between Esther Janssen and Charles Hansen. The date, 1907. A year when Gunnis was known to have been in Laporte. Aha. He also found records of Augusta Janssen from Sweden in the employ of the Cook family in Hartford. And according to these records, she had emigrated to the immigrated to the U.S. in 1892. As well, a Michael Burns, who claimed to have been married to Esther's sister, handled Esther's funeral arrangements and identified the body as that of his sister-in-law. Janssen confirmed that Burns had lived in Hartford and was married to a woman with the maiden name of Janssen. For Janssen, this confirmed the existence of a separate Swedish person named Esther Augusta Janssen, who couldn't be Gunnis because the woman's Norwegian connection was firmly established. Okay. Yep. So, it is overwhelmingly likely that Belle was not Esther Carlson, said Janssen. The only way that could have happened is if she came to Arizona after the fire, got to know Esther, then killed her and took her identity. But then you have the problem of Esther's brother-in-law identifying the body as Esther's. I'm pretty sure I can say Belle Gonis was not Esther Carlson. Mm -hmm. Case closed. Well, that's... Not satisfying. <laughs> no. Oh, did you? You really, really wanted them to decide. I did want them to, to be the same person. No, because Bel- then we would know for sure when Bell Gunnis died. Well, I think we can say for sure that Bell Gunnis did not die in her farmhouse in 1908. No, I think we. I think, I think we can yeah. say I'm like 97.6 percent sure. <laughs> so that this that is kind of a perfect murders follow up. Because oh, wow. like, let's face it, she made a she made six point three million dollars in today's cash yeah. out of murdering a whole bunch of guys, yeah. and she got away. Scott and clean. babies, she killed babies and babies, and yeah. all she had to do was to write sweet, sweet letters, yeah, and live in a time when the police did not do their job and insurance companies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And insurance companies just paid. Yeah, they didn't try and like stick it to people. Man, we are really pay. bad at this insurance. Well, thing. she must be honest. No one would lie about it. Insurance claims. Yeah, but she did have to hit people in the head with sausage grinders yeah, yeah. and chop up their bodies and feed them to the hogs. Yep. Okay. That that because yeah, I she I had feel to like you bury dead people. I feel like you were glazing over that part of it. Right. She occasionally did have to do some heavy lifting. Yeah. yeah. Literally. But she had the body mm-hmm. for it. Uh pop culture. Roadsideamerica.com, your online guide to offbeat tourist attractions, okay. does a review of the Bell Husband Killer Gunness exhibit at the LaPorte County Historical Society Museum. Okay, nice. Uh, they rated it worth a detour mm. and peculiar enough to warrant a visit. I'm okay. sold. Uh, road trip? Cosby Soda road, road trip. trip? Road trip. I can't think of any other reason I want to go to LaPorte, Indiana. Uh, there's a in the uh, in their review of the museum. There's a recreation recreation oh, <laughs> in the <laughs> welcome to the Gunnis Farm recreation, recreation. area. Yeah. There is a recreation of the Gunnis Farm and lots of photos in the wheelbarrow possibly used to carry the bodies to the hog pen. Sure, the exhibit only occupies a corner of the museum, but it's not something you see every day unless you work there. Okay, <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> so. There's a movie that I tried to find called Method from 2004, starring Elizabeth Hurley. Hurley. He. Wow. Are you, are, you, are you calling her out as a as a uh, bulimic? Yes. Is that what you're doing? Yeah. In which Elizabeth Hurley plays a celebrity actress who gets her dream role playing real-life 19th century ki- serial killer Belle Gunness in a feature film. Okay. But through the course of the shooting of the film, starts to take on the characteristics of the character both on screen and oh, off. Oh, no. My goodness. And I uh, I tried every method that I could think of possible mm-hmm. to find this, and I had no luck. 
I also could not find it. So I say, Soda Jerks, if you've seen this film, yeah, let, let us, us know. know if it's good, if it's bad, highlights, lowlights. It is a 4.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which yeah. is not a good sign. 762 went, users have rated it. Went to straight to DVD in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, it, this is kind of commentary on the state of movie watching, is that if you get kind of this like fair to Midland you know, movies that, uh, you know, don't have a big studio release or whatever. And they just kind of disappear. Like you can't, if if they're not worth putting up on Netflix or, you know, uh, um, creating something to buy or uh, rent on iTunes, then where do you find it? They just get on this Hollywood. Can't. Yeah. Very frustrating. Plus, you know, Liz Hurley's not a bad actor. What else? What what what, what, would I have seen her in? Uh, she was in the, how many Avengers movies has she been in? She's been in zero Avengers movies, but she was in a funny movie with Brendan Fraser, uh, where she played the devil. What was it called? Bedazzled. She was in Austin Powers as the the female lead. The first Austin Powers. Well, first Austin Powers. Imagine that. Uh, music in 2007. Rob Zombie and ex Marilyn Manson guitarist John Five released the album "The Devil Knows My Name." Oh, those two guys finally got together. Yeah. Good. And they included the track "Black Widow of Laporte." which is a direct reference to Gunnis. Okay. This song is a playable track in Guitar Hero, Warriors of Rock. Nice. All right. Uh-huh. Look forward to that, playing that at some point. Uh, the song Bella the Butcher is featured on the band Macabre's album, Grim Scary Tales. There is uh, a band called Lily and the Parlor Tricks that did a song called Bell Gunnis. And I've got a link to a YouTube video for that. And there's a 1938 folk song called The Ballad of Bell Gunnis. Oh. Which I have another YouTube Wait, link. Wait, what year? 1938. Oh, wow. So. 30 years after 30 year anniversary of her death, quote unquote. In 38? Yeah. She, she, the fire was in 1908. Oh, uh, yeah. Not a real death. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> official death. Okay. Yeah. The Ballad of Bell Gunnis performed by TJ McFarland. That uh, we've got a YouTube. Video oh, he as makes well. great uh, toys. Oh yeah, Mc- and Spawn. <laughs> That's uh, Todd McFarlane. Oh, not the same person. No. The Bell Gunnis story inspired a couple of short stories. E. L. Doctorow wrote a short story called A House on the Plains, and Damon Runyon wrote a short story called Lonely Heart that I read. Mm. And it's actually told from the perspective of uh, one of the gentleman suitors, but uh, he doesn't end up dead. He tricks her into killing herself when she tries to kill him. So it was actually kind of an entertaining story, and it was like in Collier's Weekly in 1930-something. No, you drink the coffee. You look like you need it more than I do. It was actually actually the Ray Lampier character, the handyman, that accidentally tipped him off to the fact that uh, uh, he was probably going to be taken out like all the other gentlemen callers. And uh, so then he stopped eating and drinking, and she uh, she had the, the lid off of a well pulled off so that he would like wander out in the dark and fall into the well. And uh, uh, he pretended that he was seeing the ghost of one of her previous husbands. And she got so scared by it, she ran outside and fell in the well herself. That's how the story ended. But the character was borrowed heavily from Belle Gunnis. Yeah. Uh, I watched a TV documentary called Only Belle, uh, which uh, some of the information found in this episode was uh, contained in. Um, It wasn't very good. Okay. Instead of a narrator... They had just these like uh, you know cards that would come up and sort of like do as interstitials to. So it's like pop up video. They like kind of to stitch the story together between like oh. the the archival footage and the interviews they did with some authors that written books on Bell Gunnis. Okay. Uh, and most interestingly, 
Uh, Black Road Brewery of Laporte, Indiana makes Bell Gunna Stout. Oh, I will not drink that because it's full of strychnine. Oh, is that, do you think they've? They, oh, it's it's not in her honor. It's actually the kind of thing she would serve <laughs> yeah, to people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, no, in fact, on their website they describe it as. A notorious drink that is as dark as its namesake's history. <laughs> Named after the infamous Laporte serial killer Bell Gunness of 1908, our Irish-style dry stout is amazingly smooth to drink. You will taste chocolatey coffee and roasty flavors in every sip. Handcrafted in Laporte, Indiana. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, On our road trip to the uh, Laporte, Indiana Museum for the Bell Gunness exhibit, yep. uh, we'll have to stop and have some Bell Gunness stout. Sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would like to propose to our one of our soda jerks, Emmy Gennis, I think is her name, mm-hmm. comic crafter and podcast listener, uh-huh. mm-hmm. that she write a little comic. Because she sent us comics, little comic zines about other macabre mm-hmm. stories that have had some crossover with uh, Caustic Soda stuff. Oh, yeah. And since her last name is Gennis, again, if I'm remembering it correctly, yeah. and the Gunnis, there's like, it sounds similar. There's some and serious I overlap. I would read that comic book. Yeah. So there's I, I, a not yet existing pop culture um, that you're item. hoping to inspire yes. by yes. actually mentioning it on the podcast. Yes. Oh, this is awesome. Do we, is there anything else that we can inspire by just mentioning on the podcast? Like I would like to inspire one of the listeners to drop off a satchel of unmarked bills to the tune of one. I would like to, I, I would like to have some large hearty ladies send me some, some letters. Oh, love letters. Some oh, love letters. so you fly to her side at her farmhouse with my, with my $2,600 in cash sealed you. inside of a, in your underwear? In my underwear. You don't have $2,600 in cash. I could find it. I could Successful find it. podcaster seeks woman for partnership. Persons. Send a $1,000 deposit. <laughs> no, no, this is where the whole, you put the article in, persons seeking to marry fortunes and- to merge uh, fortunes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it would. That's where the whole thing would fall apart. And I end up in a grave with my body parts all jumbled up. Yeah, but you would have had a nice meal beforehand. That's true. Mmm, I feel sleepy. <laughs> well, the mm. coffee helps with that. Yeah. Mmm, strict nine. Oh, so where does Bell Gunnis rate on our on the caustic soda evilometer? Well, I mean, I think she might be the most evil dame we've talked about yet. Oh yes, yeah, I think she might be. It just in terms of well, see, here's what we don't get from what we've heard in the episode is like her personality, right? Like we don't know, like we know. Well, she had the only thing we the only thing we've know besides what she did is that. That she had a sinister look on her face one time. Yeah, right. Well, she well, hasn't. She hasn't really said anything evil. Well, or had a weird, you know, confession or anything like that. Evidently, she was easier to get along with before somebody kicked a baby out of her belly. <laughs> yeah, that was the turning point. Yeah, well, you know, that was when the evil started. Yeah, she's like, you know, if something of mine's gonna die, I should get some money for it. Yeah, damn it, mm-hmm. that baby was gonna get me stuff. Yeah, but uh, here I think the complete lack of. Uh, remorse or caring or like I mean she was willing to kill her three children in order to get away that's pretty evil that's pretty evil kill own children that goes on the list of horrible things yeah I mean killing other children that's understandable right and like turning murder into an industry yeah. Right, like she's that's, not just going. I hate these people. I'm going to kill them. I almost say that that's less evil because you now you have. Oh well, I just want a bunch of money. Yeah, well, you you, you think that when it becomes kind of factory style, when if you, you get, just like, I think line. killing for its own reward is more evil than killing for a million dollars. Right, 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 right. Agree but, or disagree? 
Uh, mm. Yeah, I think I kind of agree with that. But she did kill her own babies so yeah. that she could get away yeah. and chopped off an innocent woman's head to yep. kind of pose as her dead body in the fire. And really, if she didn't enjoy that job, she would have found some other one. Yeah, like right? maybe she would have raised more hogs. Yeah, that's true. concentrated on expanding her farming operation. Yeah. Actually got workers who helped her improve the farm rather than bury bodies. Yeah, I think we could think of evil dudes that might be more evil, but I don't think we've come up with an evil dame who's been as evil as her. Yeah, like several of the evil dames, at least what what I'm thinking of, like a lot of it was kind of hearsay. Like, did she actually bathe in yep, the blood of virgins? like Elizabeth Bathory. And, and yeah. Ilsa Coke, at least uh, she had, you know, the whole uh, I was just following orders kind of umbrella. Yeah. That, like, you know, to shield herself with. And uh, Griselda Blanco. What's her name? Griselda Blanco. Griselda Blanco. Yeah, yeah. Well, Who's th- pretty darn evil. Like She's pretty darn evil, but rest. she was whacked out on coke. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. I've murdered so many people while on coke. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the excuse everybody has, right? So we don't know how many people Bell Gunn has killed, but do we have an estimate? Uh, at least 12, and Ray Lampier claimed 42. 40. So, so between 12 and 42. By your own th- hand, with a meat cleaver. I think and he, poison. He doesn't really have much of a reason to lie about his number. I don't think. No. So but, I would I would say forty two is probably reasonable. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. probably ones that he didn't even know about, yep. like before he was in her Absolutely. employ. Yeah. 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 It totally makes sense that he was in on it too, because once he was leaving, she was like, "I got to get rid of this well, guy yeah, and I claim mean, he's he, doing all sorts of stuff." Yeah, and he tried, and, she tried to have him declared insane yeah. right you know so she was definitely trying to discredit him and he was there from like 1906 and 1907 which we know were her her prime dude chopping years yep like that's where there was definitely an acceleration like as it got closer to 1908 so you know if you were the the live-in handyman and she was knocking off these dudes like one at a time uh, like every couple of weeks, you'd be pretty foolish not to know what was going on. How do you know you can trust the handyman with that with that tale? Like, how does how does that subject get broached? Does he catch her carrying a body to the pig pen to bury, and he goes, "Oh no, I'll do that," yeah, and then it's okay? Or does she go, "Um, so listen, there's an aspect of the job we haven't discussed yet." <laughs> Uh, you may ask for a raise after this so we can talk about adequate compensation now my guess is is that she made him fall in love with her and then she was Mm. like oh this guy came over and tried to take advantage of me uh, so I I, in self defense I hit him with a cleaver uh, in the back of the head Mm -hmm. and uh, you need to help me dispose of it and okay because nobody will understand and then he does it and then she's like okay now you're in it with me and so you just, can't say anything because you'll go to jail too. She just wooed him by she, writing, writing him a letter. Yeah, that's right. She left the letter on his outside his door yeah. and he was instantly smitten. Little hearts in his eyes. I yeah. just can't pay your wages right now unless we can get some men in here to give me money and murder them and then I can pay you. She is definitely, I think I would rank her as the most evil of all our dames to date. I think so, yeah. Now- on the not evil side, yeah, mm-hmm. she did make her victims a sumptuous meal. Uh huh. Maybe she just uh, maybe she liked the act of cooking. Yeah. Oh, that she could did, have been she for did herself. just for herself. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you to show off. Yeah. Here's what you could have had had I not murdered you. Yeah, so what, I'll, I'll so what her, are you giving her on that? Oh, I'm giving her like a nine out of ten. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm up there too. Like, I, I there's not much more evil that I could think of. Right. Um, like, she killed five of her own children. Yeah. Five of her own children. 
Yeah. Like, we got the baby farmers from Australia who killed, like, dozens of other people's children. But I think five of your own children is far worse. How old was the oldest child when it was murdered? Uh, Jenny Olsen was, like, 16. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> her do- that was her adopted daughter, though. Oh, right. Well, yeah. So, mm-hmm. doesn't even count. <laughs> but oh, he adopted man. her when she all was the, like all the like, adopted listeners right now are like just feel a little ping right in their chest oh torn she, ad- she adopted oh. her when she was like eight she had lived with them for like for her for eight to ten years before she murdered her yeah all right i was gonna say seven but i guess i'll say eight all right I'm up with Kevin. I got to say a nine. Like there's, you know, aside from, you know, dancing in a dress made of intestines, I can't imagine how to get oh, to a 10. The like, only thing that would take her to 10, it was if cannibalism. If she, yeah, like, I guess so. That's, that's what would put her over. Yeah. The because all she did, like she didn't do anything nasty with the bodies. No. Besides just get rid of them. Yeah. That's yeah. Right. That's correct. Yeah. But it was still a total pre-planned multiple murder industry. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. No, she was what uh, Henry Ford was to model T's. She was to murder. Assembly line, that motherfucker. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back. When the week is new And we'll have more gross facts for you And you'll have things you'll want to hear about We will too Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while being torn apart by feral dogs. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes, visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Jenny May, and thanks for listening. It's like the, uh, it's like the, uh, uh, God damn it. It's like something. It's early morning. Let me finish this coffee. Well, if he's going to drink, then I'm going to drink this vermouth. Drinks all around. Mm. And by vermouth, you mean Coke Zero. What? They lied to me. On April 27th, Gunnis told a lot. Blah, blah, blah. There's too many names. Uh.